Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 111. That's a lot of ones. For one day closer to dead, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, I hope you know what the fuck we're doing today, because I have no idea. But it sounded before we went on the air that you were very confident that you had a solid game plan. So I am just trusting your stewardship, your professionalism, and your leadership as we go into episode 111. Yeah, me too. Um, so what I would like to say is because we have a lot of wonderful feedback from you beautiful dozens out there. We're just going to have to get into the Franken beans of this situation right away. But, First of all, but do we have any feedback from any of the ugly ones? I, I wouldn't know. Okay. I, I don't really keep, I don't say, Hey, send me a picture. Like I do my other endeavor. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. That'd be great. <clears throat> all right. So here we go. I just want to say real quick, we are a huge hit in the Midwest and thank you very much for listening to us out there in uh, what LA and New York would affectionately call the flyover States in Kansas. We are really, really big in Missouri. We're really big. I just want to say Wichita, Kansas is our number one uh, city for listenership last week. Los Angeles, California came in number two, New Orleans, Louisiana. That uh, that's been, that's been ranking up there and now is our number third. And for the first time ever in our top five list, Las Vegas, Nevada, Las Vegas, Thank you hey. very much for listening. We certainly appreciate it. I will be joining you for retirement in about 10 years. And then number five, Paris, France. Paris, thank you as always for making us the Jerry Lewis of podcasts. So thank you very much. We do appreciate that. And I do want to say for feedback, God damn, do we have fuck tons of it, Dave. So I really, I don't know exactly where to start. So I guess we'll just get right into a little bit of it off the top. Well, just real quick, Jason, in, in regards to the top listened to cities, I would like to know where is Detroit? Uh, once again, once they found out you were born there, they disowned you and never listened to the podcast again. Now, nah, that's fair. We've covered this. Okay. At any rate, I just want to say that a lot of you out there uh, might be a little disappointed because the dumpster fire that you have requested for us to cover, we're just going to cover in the feedback area. Maybe get to it at a later date when Don't more things fall Don't say that. Then out. they're just going to turn the shit off. They do anyway. But hey, let's start talking about how Biden sucks a dick. Guarantee you they'll turn off then. Uh, that gets to other feedback we're going to talk about. But hey, a lot of you wanted us to talk about Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle and his uh, his his new special, I believe, The Closer. Uh, and it is on Netflix right now how uh, the gay community, lesbian community, um, they want, they basically had a walkout, I guess, on Netflix today uh, because... There, there was a protest outside of Netflix offices. I heard that on the radio. Yeah, there was a big protest they were doing uh, because they feel that uh, Dave Chappelle was punching down and disparaging this uh, group of people and this people that are fighting for their rights as well. And it was a big fucking thing that you guys want to talk about. And I, though I guess the reason why it's so interesting to me, and I, I discussed it a little bit with Dave at the beginning, is it uh, kind of like what our dumpster fire is actually going to be, I think, uh, has divided our community here on One Day Closer to Dead. The dozens, so... Basically, you know, six to 12 of you and six to 12 of the other ones uh, are really divided on this issue. Many of you cited cancel culture. Um, it, is, or it is something that Dave and I have briefly, well, we didn't briefly talk about it, but I know that Dave doesn't really believe in the term to my knowledge, uh, and I do. And that Confirming is, Baudry, not Chappelle. That's right, Dave Baudry. Uh, but I do, and um, at least 50%... I think it exists. I just think the term gets overused and gets bastardized quite a bit. 
great. So I think about 50% of you out there uh, really do believe in it and are pissed that uh, there's a lot of people out there saying, hey, take the closer down and Dave Chappelle should never work for Netflix again and let's banish Dave um, Chappelle. And then the other 50% of you that contact us basically are saying that you've had enough of Dave Chappelle being the only person with a hallway pass to go and say whatever the hell he wants about whatever he wants to talk about. Use the N-word liberally when no one else can. Say a lot of things about the gay community, about women's rights, about women in general. Uh, I mean, he hit them all on this show. I have seen it. Uh, and they're like, enough's enough. This is If he was looking for outrage, he fucking got it. And it's really interesting because our audience, um, for the last several years have been pretty much in lockstep with about 5 to 10% just kind of being the outliers where it's like, mm, I don't really agree with that and, and, and such a situation like that. What's interesting, uh, and we will get to it with some of the feedback and possibly also going into the dumpster fire, is that we also, the community, got pretty divided, not divided, but turned their back on us a, a little bit when we did the Joe Biden's report card and also just saying, you know, what we felt uh, was happening on that, that we, we had every right to hold accountable uh, current leadership just as much as we did when Donald Trump was in power. And that divided the community, uh, too, which I can get into a little bit more. But Dave, before we move on to, to that situation, um, yeah, what do you think? We got a little bit of not infighting, certainly not, but a various... Varying of opinions on Dave Chappelle's The Closer. Uh, let me start by saying I have not watched it yet. I'm not avoiding it. I just haven't gotten to it. So I am familiar with his, you know, other most recent standups. Like I've seen probably his last two or three previous specials to The Closer, but I have not seen uh, The Closer in question. I am aware of the general situation of what the debate is, what the argument is. It's not the first time this debate or argument has had has been had, especially in regards to Dave Chappelle. I'll say this. I don't think the answer is to pull the special off of Netflix. Um, I think if you don't want to watch it, don't. If you think there's messages in it that could be harmful or, or, or somehow bad, voice that opinion. Absolutely. I have no issue with, you know, like, for example, if people want to protest outside of Netflix or whatever, like that's entirely their right. And I think it's regardless, I think it's an important conversation to be had as far as what is funny, what is not, what is comedy, what is not, um, what is punching down, what isn't, you know, I, I think all of those are very valid subjects of legitimate discourse. I am not okay with somebody else telling me that because they didn't like it or they object that I don't have the right to watch this thing that I have a Netflix subscription for. Um, and I don't think it's a free speech violation because, again, this isn't coming from the government. This would be from if Netflix pulled it, it would be because they're a private company and, you know, they and advertise. Well, not advertisers, but public pressure or whatever. Um, so it's not really a First Amendment issue, to be clear. But. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's for somebody else to decide what other people can or can't watch. If you don't like it, don't watch it. If you think that it's problematic, speak out about it and let's engage in that, that discourse. As far as Chappelle, I can just speak in general. I get very hesitant when we start saying certain things are out of bounds for stand-up comedy, like in general. Um, obviously it all depends on 
the message and how it is done. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, of nuance there, but in general, you know, like, like for example, one is that I've heard constantly throughout times of, of studying comedy and, and being in classes and stuff is, is for example, like you cannot joke about rape. I understand that. I, in my case, I would agree with that viewpoint in that if I was doing standup, I would not personally make like a rape joke, for example, right? Because you don't know what your audience has been traumatized by in the past or or how that, like, that's not necessarily escapism, you know, for a lot of people. It could bring back a lot of really bad memories. But the flip is, what if you had a comedian who was using their own, you know, history or whatever in regards to sexual assault um, of being a victim of it, and that was how they were coping with it, was speaking about it in this kind of offhand or, you know, jokey way on stage who am i to tell them that they can't do that um this is a hypothetical but i'm saying in general and i understand dave Chappelle is in trans so it's not a one-to-one correlation but i think it gets very dicey when two things one when we start telling stand-up comedians what they can or cannot talk about that goes against the entire idea concept of stand-up comedy i think he does it and then if there's pushback there's pushback and then we have that conversation um and secondly dave Chappelle on stage I don't know what Dave Chappelle does or doesn't believe in his offstage personal life. But I also think it's a little bit worrisome when people start absolutely saying Dave Chappelle, the person, is the same as Dave Chappelle, the provocateur, performer, stand-up comedian. What he's doing on stage is not necessarily what he does off stage, And I, it's like, you know, going up to a, a soap opera person and like yelling at them for killing your favorite character or, or like how Roddy would have to deal with people trying to stab him because of something he said on TV. And again, it's with stand-up comedy. It's a little bit more intimate than that. Cause a lot of times people form their own, like a lot of times their stand-up persona is very close to who they actually are, but sometimes it also isn't. Um, I would be reluctant to espouse what Dave Chappelle's actual viewpoints are outside of something he might have said in an interview or something based off of what he says in a stand-up special. Because what he said in a stand-up special, the basis is entertainment, and you can say whether it's entertaining or not, but the basis is uh, to provoke, and it certainly has. It's had, it's had you know, provoked what I think is important discourse. I don't think the, uh, I don't think the solution is to pull it off the, the network. I don't think... Um, necessarily we should be taking Dave Chappelle literally with all everything that he says in a comedic bit. And as far as whether or not it's funny or not, or whether or not he's punching down or not, I think those are conversations that can be happening outside of calling for his special to be, to be yanked. So no one can decide for themselves. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a lot that you said in that, um, that response. Um, and some of it I agree with the things that I, I took away from it when, because I wasn't even going to watch it. Um, honestly, I will, because even though I've liked some of what Dave Chappelle's done in the past, um, I, I finally got to the point where I was like, eh, well, it's just going to be more, you know, making fun of people that aren't black males in the American experience, which is sure. what I think that he represents very well. Uh, and, but everything else is sort of, you know, uh, you know, he, it, it's, it's fair game. And I watched the whole special because we had so many responses. So I was like, fuck it. I'll watch it. Okay. Um, I can tell you that it, comedy, uh, much like beauty is in the eye of the beholder or, you know, the ear of the beholder. And I was watching it. Within five minutes, you know, he makes a joke about 
blacks beating Asians for no reason, you know, and made a joke about that. He makes a joke. He does make a joke about no one wanting to rape lesbians. Things can I confirm they, your, well, I'm sorry, can I confirm your wording? Cause I am a little bit confused sure. just about the phrasing there. Sure. Um, you said he made a joke about black people beating Asian people or he made the joke for no reason. Um, no, no. B- basically saying that how we've covered the Asian racism that's popped yes. up over that he was watching videos of predominantly black people beating Asians on the street okay. and didn't know why and then okay. and then made a bit about that. I'm not going to say the whole joke because it, sure. to me it was absolutely fucking tasteless. And the thing is, as I watched the whole thing and I even read finally some articles out there and essays about the closer. Uh, his, yeah, his there's special. been a bunch. I know that. And, and, and a lot of the more intelligent essayists out there have finally, the the final word is sort of written, at least right now, in Dave Chappelle's career, is that he is remarkable at comedy that deals with a, a minority here in the United States of America as the black male. The black male American experience. He is phenomenal at explaining it in a comedic way how fucking terrible it has been and it continues to be. This is where his gifts lie, honestly. Everything else that we have, that a lot of people have kind of given him this, put him on a pedestal as, oh, he fights for us. He is the comedian that looks after us. And like, no, he, he doesn't. It's just the the black male American experience that he's but repping. He, well, let me finish, please. He never claimed to be, though. Also. No, no, but it's very obvious. He, like, the jokes he makes at women's expense, gays' right. expenses, Asians' expenses are fucking horrible. And, I mean, everyone's laughing about it and this who's sitting in this fucking theater watching him. But I can tell you that every other minority or every other group of people who are being marginalized and we have spoke up about on this show as as saying this shit's gotta stop he makes a complete fucking mockery and joke out of it in a very mean-spirited way i can just i i can just say this is from this is not dave bodry speaking this is jason bailey speaking sure, and I that's just, what you took from it and i just sat there and was like what the fuck is this man doing now when he talks about being underprivileged and and the shit he's had to go through as a black male perfect great yay wonderful all the other shit no not at all so the thing is that this final episode is i think this final special on netflix is important because we're having this conversation right now here on the podcast and a lot of fucking people are both in print uh, all media are talking about Dave Chappelle, this special, and what it means. I do think it is historical. I think it is a historical special in the fact that the Netflix uh, leadership will not ever have something like this again, most likely, on their show, um, because there's going to be changes made. It is as far as you can push being provocative and still having a company work for you. So, can make a prediction there? Just yeah, very quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what Dave Chappelle's deal is with Netflix, meaning if he has more specials that he's currently contracted to do, or, or I don't know what that, that legal obligation is right now between the two of them. I can say I strongly suspect, and I'll phrase it that way. Cause again, I don't know Dave Chappelle. I don't want to even pretend to know like what his thoughts are, or, you know, all that, but I suspect 
that if Netflix asked him to stay away from certain subjects on whatever his next special was, he would probably refuse to do the special. And I don't necessarily I agree. think he'd be wrong on that. It's, no, I agree. Uh, but what I'm saying is that the CEO's response and Netflix and I and I, you know, I have to pull him in on this too. Yeah, is that he was sort of like get the fuck over it in a in a corporate sense. He was looking at his employees who were who were gay and a lot of the stars who participate with Netflix productions. Like it is what it is, and they're like, no, bitch, it ain't what it is. And it's like he's now you know come out with I sh- probably I should have handled this differently, and we will going <laughs> no forward. Shit. So, I mean, the thing is that for all of you out there, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. I'm saying we all have a fucking opinion, which is what we do on this show, which is why I love being part of this podcast. And by part of it, I mean, I, I don't even think I'm a major part. I think it's you guys that write us, talk to us, listen to us now. Um, I, and I mean that. I think we just kind of dissect what you're throwing at us. But it's interesting that we've now gone into an area of the cast where we're talking about stuff that the audience is on uneven ground, I guess, with we're, we're not all stable. We're not all thinking the same thing, which, you know, is great. When we were all going against Trump and COVID and cotton candy, what have you, the Delta blues, we're all the audience and us are in lockstep for the most fucking part. Okay. We could be cavalier at times, but we were all no, addressing in the same pretty much. But at this point in time, we're all sort of all over the place going, eh, I don't, you know, they don't like when we talk shit about Biden. And there's now this Chappelle thing uh, being brought to our attention. There is 50% of you out there right down the line. That's like these motherfuckers trying to cancel Dave Chappelle. What the fuck do you think about that? And then there's another 50% of you like, yeah, the bitch needs to be held accountable like every other motherfucker out there now. So it's just, it's interesting. And I thought it was something, you know, obviously we've almost soaked up 20 minutes of the podcast uh, sort of talking about this, but it isn't. I mean, it kind of leads to the dumpster fire, actually. But I just want to throw that out there because it was overwhelming. You guys wanted us to say something about it. So that's that's what I have to say. All right. Any other feedback before we move on, Jason? I believe there is some. <sighs> I believe there is some. Yes. Hey, a lot of you came out uh, really strong for us last week in listenership. And what was more interesting about that is a lot of you came and said, hey, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. The reason I listen to your cast is because you hold all accountable and you speak your minds. You're not for one political faction or another if something needs to be called out. This was multiple, multiple times that were said. So thank you very much for that. I know Karate Girl contacted us with that. We had a lot of people that said really, really good things. And then what was even more interesting, we got a slight bump, not a lot, but a slight bump in the, in, in the Biden episode before the Trump one. Of course, you throw Trump's name on anything that's done in any kind of social media capacity and it gets consumed like a fat kid eating pie. So at any rate, thank you very much for that. We do appreciate you contacting us. And then on top of it all, uh, right at the last minute before we were to go to air, we received an email correspondence and I'm going to read it. I've only read it once, so I'm going to read it here one more time. It is from the timekeeper. The timekeeper is somebody that has contacted us uh, every once in a while regarding mostly, well, I think all political situations that he is thinking about. And and some very, very good uh, correspondence with him in the past. He gave us a very nice shout out on our episode 100, if I remember correctly. 
He did. He gave us a nice uh, shout out. And then that one. I'm assuming it's a he. I don't know one way or the other. (laughs) See, that's right. Exactly. I don't know myself. But what's interesting is. I'll say they. I don't know. The timekeeper also uh, was really uh, part of our contributing group of people, I believe, that commented on that. Right before the election, election autopsy, that fantastic episode we did right before uh, it all went down. And so anyway, let's get on with it. The timekeeper is watching is what this is entitled. Dear Dave and Jason, welcome. Yeah, exactly. Dear Dave and Jason, welcome to the beginning of the end. I am reaching out once again to share my views with your dozens of how hot I see the American dumpster fire is now burning. None of this is new. But there have there has been a fundamental change in our society that we've been going through for the past two decades, but it has really crystallized over the past five years. Like lenses in a microscope coming into focus, it has become more clear as time goes on what the future holds for our young republic. As REM foretold, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. I sit back and watch as our familiar American society balkanizes into deep tribal divides. Make no mistake, we are in a cold civil war. The fissures in our society have been growing deeper and deeper to the point where we are just annoying each other now and where we actually truly do hate one another. On one of your previous episodes, you astutely found that many people can agree about certain aspects of American life. But when you broach the subject to politics, people immediately retreat into their respective corners and defend their side's beliefs, regardless of how irrational or stupid their side may be. These cold civil war battles are now taking place, sure, on social media, but also at family gatherings, workplaces, sporting events, schools, and generally in the public square of everyday life. Our hatred is now running deep. We wish others ill. Open threats are now commonplace. Physical altercations, whether they're at school board meetings or 10,000 feet up in the sky, the pot is boiling over. Keep in mind that the actual civil war led to hundreds and thousands of Americans killing each other many times within their own family for beliefs and convictions that they did not want to be owned by the other side, literally and figuratively. The South did not want those Northerners to tell them how to live and they couldn't accept the outcome of an election where an overreaching president would destroy their way of life. Does this sound familiar? We have people that are resisting things like masks or vaccine mandates simply because they just don't want to be told what to do. It is like being against wearing a seatbelt because you are mandated to do it according to some overreaching liberal law. We are truly a fucked people. As I predicted in this form in the past, more open violence is coming and the fall of the American empire is afoot. So bunker up, friends. The next few years will be a wild and bumpy ride. Keep up the good work of telling the people how it truly is. Truth really does matter. Yours truly, the timekeeper. Well, thank you very much for that uh, joyous feedback. I I feel better already. Um, Very much thank you. Thank you very much for writing in. Uh, Jason, your, your initial thoughts or comments that you would like to add, and then I will chime in. Yeah, the, well, what's interesting about that is it joined us really just a, a two or three hours before this recording. So this just came in, and that does sort of lead us to to where we're going, I believe, uh, for for the main dumpster fire that we're getting ready to talk about. And and I think that it's interesting is that uh, a lot of you coming to our 
I'll have to say defense of, you know, just speaking our minds and, and telling what we see as happening, no matter what, no matter who's in charge. Uh, it's just very interesting that I think we've finally gotten to a point where even in families, even in communities, even in forums, even on a podcast, uh, your audience is starting to faction up themselves. So, you know, where he writes, you know, everyone hates everyone or something like that in, in his email. Uh, yeah, I, I truly get that and have more on that later. I think it also plays into something else that Jason, you and I talked about discussing in some degree, but we weren't exactly sure to what degree it would be discussed. Uh, Colin Powell passed away a couple days ago, and he was 84 years old, uh, fully vaccinated, died of complications from COVID-19, but also had blood cancer. Um, um, I'm going to mispronounce it. I'll just leave it at blood cancer. Um, But almost immediately... And as, as what happens frequently now, anytime a, a political figure of any kind passes away, you, you immediately see people rushing out to either lionize or demonize. But in this case, also because of the way he passed away, complications from COVID, you had people immediately trying to, to spin one way or the other into their own, you know, in, in, into their own um, branding. Essentially, you know, you had you had people even on major news networks that were like, well, clearly this, you know, he was fully vaccinated. This shows that, you know, there are questions, blah, blah, blah. He was 84 years old and had blood cancer, you fucking morons. Like you can say you can believe what you want about vaccines or not. Nobody ever said like I do not recall Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson. I don't recall them ever making the statement. Our vaccines are so good that if you are 84 years old and have blood cancer, you will be at no risk of COVID at all, of contracting it, or of dying from it. I don't recall that statement ever being fucking made. So that's one thing, is his death has nothing to do one way or the other with the efficacy of the vaccines. Now, other people are also using it to try as a... As a um, advertisement for why vaccine mandate is important saying like he's the vulnerable that we need to protect and if there had been a mandate where people around him had to be vaccinated he wouldn't have contracted it etc 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 again hearsay not true necessarily because i haven't heard any definitive account of how he got covid they probably don't know specifically where he got it how he got it or you know i i don't know how specific that contract tracing has been able to be or you know obviously none of that has been made public to my knowledge so that doesn't make sense either um i do think that it does if you're going to not talk about colin powell specifically but just talk about the situation of an 84 year old man with blood cancer dying from covid even after being vaccinated i do think it leads credence to the fact that is why uh, mask mandates should not be controversial until this thing is entirely blown over. That's why some of these other, you know, six feet distance when you can, like things, mass especially just because it's such an innocuous thing that isn't, you know, for most people is not difficult to do. There's exceptions, but. Um, so I think there's that. Then there's also the idea that when a political figure dies, anything negative they ever did could never possibly be brought up because it's disrespecting the dead and to the family. No, um, I disagree with that. I have nothing but sympathy for Colin Powell's family. And I think it is important to acknowledge the many great achievements that he very genuinely had in his life. And his life story is in many ways inspirational to many people. Um, But I also think 
it, we would not be responsible, anyone would be responsible in talking about Colin Powell or his legacy after he died if we did not bring up the fact that he was one of the most influential voices that got us into Iraq, one of the most disastrous military decisions possibly in the history of this country that resulted in, I mean, I couldn't, we couldn't even begin to say, you know, as far as speaking collaterally, you know, how many hundreds of thousands or whatever people, you know, both American, Iraqi, <clears throat> Afghani, whatever that have died as a result of that. And it was Colin Powell going in front of the UN and giving that speech about how Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and they were on trucks and they, and saying it was such conviction that more than anything pushed the American public to the point where they were willing to support that. And when he said it, he knew it was a lie. I think that is important to mention when speaking about Colin Powell and his legacy, yet a lot of these divisions that the timekeeper is referencing in his email in the macro, we are seeing in the micro in any conversations in the public discourse about Colin Powell, both now that he has passed and how he has passed. People are spinning his life and his legacy to fit their own means. Absolutely. I understand the, the vaccination uh, comments uh, that you made there is how people are, you know, adopting this death of this major figure in American political military life to fit their narrative of if you should have it, if you shouldn't have it. <clears throat> it's absolutely fucking bizarre. But um, and you're right about all that on Colin Powell. What I'd like to say is this is that I respect the fuck out of the dude. Um, I think that his life in America is an inspiration and it doesn't have to be just an inspiration for, uh, you know, blacks or whites or poor or immigrants. It's just inspirational period in my, in my opinion. Um, and the, the fact is that, yeah, in 2003, being part of the Bush administration, he went in front of the UN, barely convinced the countries that this was happening, no matter how passionate he was talking about it and, and, and expected to, to talk about it, to get people on the side of America to go kick the fuck out of a country that had nothing to do with 9-11 and no weapons of mass destruction either, you know. And um, by two, that was in 2003. By 2005, he had already known. It was completely fucked that he had fucked up and it was a blot on his, his record, his life, his career. It would always be talked about. Um, I'm not sure what, you know... Um, where you're you're watching some of the 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 news footage of his death on the Dave the the stuff that I've always watched on not one of them has left this out not one and this is mainstream media um the interesting part about uh Colin Powell is that you know I think that he always particularly as he got on, did the right thing with what he thought was the correct thing for America to do. This, I don't even think that he wanted to talk to the UN, in my opinion. When George W. Bush won the re-election against John Kerry, I mean, he immediately dropped out. He didn't do it beforehand because I think that he thought Bush might lose. I, thought, I think that he really thought George Bush is not going to get a second term. And when he did, he was like, I have to distance myself from these motherfuckers immediately. He's really the only person that in out of the whole Bush administration I ever go... Eh, he gets a bit of a fucking pass, even though he shouldn't. He does for me a lot of times, okay? 
Um, but no, that's it's always in everything that I've watched. It's been brought up, and him, he himself said it was a major, a major mistake. And uh, but he started that once again in 2005 after America was going. I think he was, you know, when he went before the UN, it was looking for international support that he really did not fucking get. I think he got it from you know England. I think that he got it from you know Australia but certainly not from the world at large. They all walked away going, no, there's no fucking evidence, no matter what you're goddamn saying to us. So it is what it is. Uh, I'm going to say that overall, I think that, you know, his life mattered and he's somebody that could go between the Democrats and the Republicans and support both sides of who he thought was the best for America at that time. That's my opinion. Um, But yeah, we were... We were contacted by the dozens on that a lot too. And once again, there was a lot of people that were like, fuck them. And there were a lot of people like, you know, this is something that you guys should talk about. So at any rate, once again, uh, some feedback that, that we got is uh, Colin Powell and his death. Yeah. And I think it does. I think it does a disservice to Powell. If the focus when talking about his life is solely about the Iraq war but I also think it's a disservice to the country and the people who lost their lives if that is not a major part of the discussion when discussing his life and, and his legacy. So I think there's uh, middle ground there. And, you know, again, depending on which coverage you're watching, they're leaning really hard one way or the other. So, yeah, I think that it, that wraps up on a lot of the the feedback we got, the one that is uh, of major concern to us where we are supposed to be getting into our first segment very soon, uh, 30 minutes into the cast is that uh, someone sent us a nice email about toxic fandom and how even people that love the same thing end up fucking hating each other. Well, where did that feedback come from, Jason? It came to our wonderful email, my friend, and the feedback was brought to us by two different people. One of them was the Tooth Fairy, and another person had sent some article like that about Star Wars fans as well. So there was one that was sent to us about Disney and another about Star Wars, but it's it's basically the same thing. I mean, Star and Wars is Disney. a lot of Disney. what we've covered about. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. I truly did. Did you know why? It truly fucking is now. So let's talk about this toxic fandom, my man. Because why is it that people love so much and it drives them to so much hate? I don't know, but it's happening. I I think that it's what we were talking about, sort of what you know the timekeeper wrote us. But also what I was leaning towards even before that email came in is that we really all just fucking hate each other. I really believe that. You know how they're like, they'll give you this question, this kind of like ethical, philosophical, morality question where they'll ask kids, just ask a person, do you feel that people are predominantly good or not predominantly bad. This is a very open-ended, broad-stroke question, and what it's supposed to relate really is how you feel about yourself. It's it, the the answer is that that you give back to a psychologist or a therapist or whoever's asking you is really to analyze who you are. It's not either way. It can be you know. If you're wearing the goddamn primrose glasses or not, it's how you view the world. It's, and it's so, banking. It's banking on projection as a means of answering. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, the, so the deal is that 
I think that it come it came down to it just this last week where with all these emails we're getting and a lot of the not infighting but definitely difference of opinion we just all fucking hate everybody every one of us hates everyone else and i start thinking like why is this you know where they you'll hear every fucking story whether it's on cnn or it's fox news well we've never been more divided as a country we've never been more divided as a country you know i have to add to that i don't think we've ever been more divided as a goddamn race of humans as a species on this fucking planet we generally cannot fucking stand each other. And we did this podcast uh, labeled We Hate People or Why We Hate People, some shit. I don't even know. And a couple people responded with, I agreed with it to the point I had to turn it off because I didn't want it to make me negative for the rest of the day. And it was, you know, what we were talking about is, yeah, when we were locked down in COVID, we really missed people. But what it was is we didn't miss the public. We missed the people that we missed specifically, not being around the general. It public. was a small number. Let's put it that way, it's, folks. Exactly. Well, what's happened is now that the lockdown, we've all gotten back to some sense of you can get out of your house and go to your job and go eat at a restaurant that has nobody working there and things of this nature. We've realized we just can't fucking stand each other. It's, it was enough of a pause from getting off that goddamn, you know, treadmill, the rats got off our wheels, sat down and looked and said, I fucking hate these other rats. I can't stand them, actually. Well, it's even come down to the things that we love. One of the articles we were sent was about a Facebook group called Vintage Disneyland. And Vintage Disneyland is for all the people that are Disney fanatics out there that has made it a part of their lives to just live in the Disneyverse or what have you. And they talk about when they were young, what Disneyland was like, and, you know, just kind of reminisce about their childhood. Kind of like we do on this program with our Childhood is Dead segment, only we're a lot more factual and, you know, pragmatic about it. They're waxing nostalgic about shit that has come and gone. And, well, anyway... The article was about how that forum or that, you know, media platform just fucking de-evolved very quickly when I think a topic was brought up with my Disneyland, meaning like what it means to me, what it was like when I was a kid versus now. And the shit hit the fucking fan. And people were basically saying, my Disneyland didn't have a president in charge of its country that was a piece of shit. My Disneyland didn't have fat motherfuckers eating food all day long. My Disneyland didn't cost an arm and a goddamn leg so these motherfucking tourists who don't live in California can be ripped off, but it's affecting me. It just got negative, negative, negative. Then people started calling each other Hitler. Yes, you know it's bad when old <laughs> Hitler is ripped out of the out of the air that somebody's Hitler God, on a forum. Is there, is there a historical figure that has been... <clears throat> Uh, I don't want to say weaponized because that makes it sound like it's not deserving of him, but it, it that has been needlessly brought into conversations more times throughout history than Hitler. Well, I think what's great about Hitler, honestly, and you got to listen to the beginning of that sentence again, what's great about Hitler is he was real. Yeah, I think before that it was, you're the devil or you're Satan. Well, that's made up mythological bullshit, but Hitler was fucking real. He was breathing, you know, letting people shit on him, uh, killing the Jews. I mean, he was a real motherfucker. So the reason why it, people get to Hitler right away is 
he was he hasn't been gone that long. I mean, less than a hundred years, and he was a real motherfucking evil piece of shit. So Hitler is the go-to for the finality. And you know, it used to be that people in a in a you know in a fight we used to fight with our fists. Now when a fight happens, someone reaches for a gun and blows your fucking head off. So we have gotten to the finality of a lot of you know verbal confrontations or posturing real fucking quick too. So when you say something that's out of line or doesn't go well, Hitler's got to be brought into it. I mean, he's just so in vogue. Hitler is the new black. So I mean, I just think that it's hysterical. Send all your feedback to, to Jason Bailey, folks. Ask all every Dave single bit of it. At Proton Mail. Because, well, god damn it. Hitler stashes. Anyway, I'm just saying that it's ridiculous, but the, the whole premise of the article and what it was being sent to us is even motherfuckers that love the same thing that's based on family, childhood memories, blah, fuckity, blah, end up hating each other. Same thing with Star Wars. The Star Wars fans going after each other. We've talked about, um, you know, the new, let's say the new He-Man versus the old He-Man. The Go- Ghostbusters Afterlife's coming out soon. Everyone fucking hates everyone. I'm a better fan than you. They said this stuff used to be kind of reserved for the sports fan out there that you'd get uh, some drunk fucking dude in the stands that started picking fights with people who were rooting for the same goddamn team over you don't know what you're fucking talking about i know this team better than you how long have you been following this team or did you just move to town i'm a lot lifelong fanatic of whatever the fuck probably some team that was you know degrading native americans with their with their mascot but at any rate this is what this was about but now it has been incorporated into you know i mean i guess nerd kingdom that everyone has got i'm a bigger fan and fuck you hitler so i don't know i just thought it was interesting that my god even on disney forums people fucking hate each other and i'm gonna leave it with this and throw it back to you just real quick dave because the show's almost goddamn over now is that i think it comes down to this why we all fucking hate each other for the most part because i talked about it on that one show that yes for a select group of people i love talking to i love seeing them the rest of you can fuck off completely and i'm moving to the desert one day like obi-wan kenobi do not come and get me unless you want to blow up the death star that's where i'm going to fucking be assholes side note jason what industry do you currently work in for those that are unaware the restaurant and hospitality industry which is part of the reason i am this way say no more continue hey let me tell you something spoiler alert your server hates you at any rate i just want to say that i think it comes down to the following I lived in the middle of fucking nowhere, Kansas. That's where I was raised, okay? And Missouri and Kansas, and it was maybe a town of 20,000 people, maybe, okay? I eventually went to school and lived in New York City uh, for about four years, okay? And when I was there, everyone was like, you know, New Yorkers are fucking rude. It's a jungle up there. You got to be careful. They're going to try to kill you. You're a young kid. You get on a subway, blah, fucking blah. Okay. What it really is, the difference between humans that live in urban versus humans that live in rural. Everyone hates each other. Everyone can't stand each other. Everyone wants their own way of life not to be disturbed by your motherfucking way of life. What it is in rural communities is that you have enough 
distance from each other. You see each other at the coffee shop. You see each other at the gas station. You see each other at the plant. Then you go the fuck home. You're left alone unless they were to call you. Now, this is before what I'm getting to, social media, okay? In New York City, you can't fucking escape people. Everywhere you go, there are people. You, I mean, you are asked to elbow with every human being, whether you're walking the sidewalk, you're in a subway, you're at work in a cubicle, even your apartment probably has 20 other college guys that you're just trying to pay the rent. Side you note, Jason. You cannot get away from it. What's up? I'm sure you've seen this video too, and this would be an absolute fucking nightmare, I think, for both of us. You've seen those videos where I, I believe it was in Tokyo, or it, it was like- They uh, shove the, them in? Yeah, the Japanese like subway or whatever, where there's people that are paid. It's their actual job <laughs> to like shove everybody into where they are like could, there's no breathing room not an inch of distance between mm-hmm. you and the next person because they're getting as many people in those cars as possible and then you're right. stuck in a tube with these people until at least the next stop so the thing is that that is accurate i think that what it came down to is in new york they weren't any different okay it's just they had to get shit fucking done and you are competing in their fucking space you're in their fucking space okay the difference is it didn't all go to everyone looking at everyone going, you're Hitler, because you're looking at a motherfucker right to their face. Now, I'm not saying because there's inference of there's going to be physical violence, so I don't want to start that. There is some of that. There absolutely but what it really is. is yeah. But what it, what it really comes down to is it's humans looking at each other going, fuck, man, we're all in this to goddamn gather to certain extent. And every time I was lost in New York as a kid, 18, 19 years old, every time I didn't know where the fuck I was, what I was doing, what door I should be walking in and out of, there was always some guy that's like, hey, kid, come here, do this, do this, do this. Do you understand? Yeah, I do, sir. Okay, buddy, have a good day. And it was just, they just don't have fucking time for niceties. Now, boop, 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 boop. we're going into the future and we got the fucking internet. We have all these social media platforms. This is really what it is. You can't get away from people enough to even miss them. I've heard this fucking story. I'm not on fucking Facebook, but I've heard this story. You can't even get nostalgic about a motherfucker you went to high school anymore because these memories you had of them of, we were best friends. Oh, we yeah, we were with the same girls, drank the same beer. My God, it was a good time. Yeah, you can't even think that way anymore because you've all Facebook friends up here and he says something that's out of your political fucking zone, what you believe, and all of a sudden you hate each other. So you can't even keep your nostalgic friends from fucking yesteryear. You used to pretty much be able to do this. Oh, 15 years ago. So I really think the reason we can't fucking stand each other as the human species is because we can't get away from each other. We cannot get the fuck away from each other anymore. It's a fucking free-for-all on the internet in so many different platforms, this one included, that this is why we're, we are quote-unquote divided because we can't fucking stand each other if there was just a little more room in the discourse for us to put the guns down let them quit smoking cool the fuck down maybe we could think about things and instead of being reactionary to things we're actually thinking about them we go well let me think of if that was a point i should have digested we're just ready to say the next fucking you're hitler insult back to the motherfucker we didn't agree with but Overall, from the beginning of this show today, tonight, all the way to fans hate each other now, I think the overall premise 
is we can't fucking stand each other. And I really think it has to do with we cannot intellectually or social media escape at all anymore. So we're just in each other's fucking way and we hate each other. Well, I think there's um, a lot of things to say there. So I will I will kind of hit them in kind of bullet point fashion. First of all, you made a statement earlier that I will respectfully disagree with in your statement that um, you believe it is possible that this is the most divided time in, you know, either human history or United States history or, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I would respectfully disagree with that. I think that is um, through the benefit of that is what is currently in front of us. But looking back at history... You know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, we were infinitely closer to nuclear destruction. Like, that sounded like that that was within inches, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the civil rights movement of the, the 50s into the 60s, you know, you had school children getting sprayed with fire hoses because they were just trying to get an education. Um, now, you do see, I mean, there's, you can always find extreme examples of that type of thing, you know, in some way happening in, in today's country, absolutely. But it's not the norm, or at least it's not supposed to be. So I, I respectfully disagree with the idea that we're more divided now than ever, but I go back to a point that I've made many times, is that weaponized outrage makes a lot of people a lot of money. And Trump obviously is the easiest example to point to on that, but he's certainly not the only one. He's certainly not new in that regard. And you see that with fandoms as well, because you can take a Star Wars fan site, and if they are trying to up their YouTube numbers or get more people to read their articles or whatever, all they have to do is put a, a salacious headline that either that takes a strong stance one way or the other, saying Ray is the worst protagonist of Star Wars history, here's why. Ray is the best protagonist of Star Wars history, here's why. Land on either side of those two extremes, you're going to get people either agreeing with you and looking to have their own opinions validated or clicking specifically as hate porn so that they can feel superior and tell you how stupid you are. This is not lost on these content creators, and this is where social media... Can you imagine talking about how divided the country is? Can you imagine if social media was a thing during the civil rights movement? Like, how fucking ugly that shit would have gotten? So I, I don't think that we're more divided now than we've ever been. I just think there's a bigger megaphone to it. And the media as a general monolith has figured out how best to monetize it. And there's money in the outrage. And it's no different with fandom. And as a, you know, you're seeing people that are prescribing. We talked before. This kind of ties into a lot of things we talked about before. But I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how I believe that, you know, and it's not just me uniquely thinking this, but everyone is trying to be the hero of their own story. But to be a hero, very frequently, you need a villain that you need to heroically be fighting against. And a lot of people don't have anything they're legitimately heroically fighting against, so they will make themselves a hero in some ridiculous fashion by bastardizing or villainizing some annoyance in their daily life that they can feel like they're crusading against or something. So it's no different here. Like the, the examples that you used on this Disney group, well, you know, in my Disney didn't have, you know, heavy set people doing this or people voting for Biden or whatever it was. Um, you know, that's, that's people that are not really arguing even about the, the, the fan thing themselves. They are simply using that and weaponizing it um, in order to lash out at, at other people. The, the thing that I hate about fandoms in general is this whole idea of gatekeeping. Jason, you and I talk about pro wrestling quite a bit. We 
probably will, I'm sure, in the next few minutes in some way, shape, or form. Who knows? Uh, but we're very adamant about the type of pro wrestling that we enjoy and the type of pro wrestling that we don't. However, if somebody came up to either one of us and said, you know what, I really hated the 80s and the 90s, and I really prefer today's WWE product, we could certainly disagree with them, and we would not, you know, I, there'd be plenty of conversation or discourse to possibly be had there. Um, but I certainly don't think we would have some kind of, you're wrong, you're stupid, how dare you enjoy this thing that we don't like. Um, and that's what you see very frequently with extreme fandoms. Like Star Star Wars is one. A lot of times it's, it's a lot of misogyny that goes into it too. You see a lot of it in the video game community frequently as well, where you're, you're not a real fan if you can't do this or if you don't know this or if you weren't watching back in you know the 70s or the 80s or whatever the fuck. They put all these imaginary um, goalposts up that for someone to be respected in their eyes, that person has to meet these goalposts. If somebody has a t-shirt of a band that I like, and then I say, oh, hey, like that's an awesome shirt, and then they don't know who the band is, they just like the design of the shirt, fuck it. They like the design of the shirt. Okay, cool. It's a cool shirt, cool design. It doesn't mean they're somehow pretending or have no right to own it or how dare they display it or whatever. A friend of mine is a film critic in Detroit. She deals with more bullshit than I could even begin to imagine. Even on just the shit that I see, anytime she expresses even the most innocuous opinion of any film, let alone something like Star Wars or Harry Potter or a Marvel film or whatever, because... She is a black woman on the internet who knows her shit, and whether you agree with her or disagree with what her actual opinion is, she can express that opinion in a very articulate way, and that enrages so many fucking people. So they'll try to be like, well, you can't say that you're not a real fan. You don't know about this or that or whatever. And... If you're trying to gate people from enjoying things that brings them comfort in their daily life, you're not a fan. You're an asshole. And it doesn't matter what it is. You can love the original Star Wars films with every fiber of your being. You could despise the prequels with every fiber of your being. You could prescribe, um, you know, despise the the Lucas uh, remasters with every fiber of your being. Han shot first and all that stuff. And it's cool to have discourse over all of that. But if you try to use your opinion as a means of denying somebody else their joy... Fuck you, because then it's not about the fandom. It's not about liking something. It's not about loving something. It's about you weaponizing something that somebody else cares about to turn it against them, to make them feel less than. And social media is tailor-made for that type of thing, which is why you see it so frequently with things like Star Wars or Disney or video games or anything where you're going to have this kind of entrenched, uh, what used to be kind of these niche things that aren't really niche anymore because with the internet has being a big megaphone, everything's connected now. No matter what your group is, no matter what your thing is, the thing that you enjoy, the thing that you love, you can, if you are searching for it, find other people that love that thing. Maybe for different reasons than you do, maybe different time periods than you do, but you can find other people that love that thing. So therefore, it doesn't. it's not a, a, as niche anymore. So therefore, it becomes some sort of threat to identity, like, oh, well, maybe I'm not as unique as I thought I was. Well, well, they didn't know about this from the 70s, and they, you know, they, they didn't know about this 
TV special and they never watched all of the animated series and blah, 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 blah. Who gives a shit, dude? If it means, if it makes sense to you in your life, great. If you hated a, a film, great. If you loved a film, great. I, it bothers me when people cannot have those conversations and instead it degenerates to you're an idiot. You're not a real fan. How dare you? You shouldn't be a part of this community. When you're weaponizing somebody else's passion and love against them, you can go fuck yourself and I don't care what the fandom is. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's an absolute ridiculous thing. The, um, that vintage, whatever the fuck vintage Disneyland thing, uh, there, there was a group of people out there that just went nuts and they're, they're all cock swinging. Who's got a bigger cock. Who's got a big, uh, I'm a bigger fan, blah, 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 blah. And then it turns into all sorts of hate speech. And it's just like, how do you start with this thing that you love? And it turns to dog shit. There's also, you know, people saying, you know, my Disneyland had the original Pirates of the Caribbean selling, you know, women into sex slavery. My Disneyland also had Song of the South and Splash Mountain. That's fantastic. So, I mean, you just kind of shake your strange, head like, Strange hill to die on, but all right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that kind of shit there. So, at any rate, you know, to me, I just look at like, it's, uh, I think we're in a new place where because the megaphone is so loud to take your, to take your words and, and use them, Dave, is, you know, there is such a, a bigger platform for people just to espouse their opinions, uh, that people respond. And we're always in a react. I think we've gone into this reactionary vortex and we cannot get out of it. It's like, here comes the outrage. I'm going to meet that with outrage. Here comes the outrage. I'm meeting that with outrage. Because the mass media every and the side. social media companies have monetized it to such an incredibly yes. effective degree. And it's also, you know, I'm obviously a big fan of true debate. I love it. I love conversation. I love differing, uh, difference of opinion. I love that kind of stuff, okay? I really do. And we don't have any of that at all anymore. Nobody's listening to the other person talking with a different op opinion than they have, which is really fucking sad because true conversation comes from listening, not talking. And it's, and, and really thinking about what that person has said. No one said you had to agree with it. Everyone said you have to listen to it and at least acknowledge it's been said and think about it if you wish to have some sort of intelligible response, a retort, if you will. And there's just fucking none of that. It is, I am outraged, therefore I'm going to say something outrageous like you're Hitler. And it just goes on and on it's and also, on. And the it, vortex needs to fucking stop. Or at least, if I could give you any advice out there, dozens... Take yourself out of the vortex. Just don't be reactionary. Think about what you've read. Think about what's been said to you. And think really hard before you say something back. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is that you don't have to engage in every conversation. Every conversation doesn't have to be your thing. Every conversation doesn't have to be about you. You don't have to chime into everything that uh, that you see. Pick Pick what you want to spend your time and your energy on because that time and that energy is very finite. Absolutely. All right. Final subject of the week, Jason. First of all, before we get to that, uh, if the dozens want to send us hate speech or hate mail or call us Hitler or whatever, where would be an appropriate space for them to do so? Yes. You can always reach us as you have been very much reaching us at. Thank you again, Timekeeper. Thank you again, all y'all out there at this wonderful email known as. 
Ask Dave and Jason at ProtonMail.com Because, well, God damn it! Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. Oh, I felt that one. I felt that one in my in my soul. Yes, keep the fuck you... In your groin. You felt it in your groin, didn't no, you? No, you don't... I, I, you wouldn't get paid enough for that. Um, the That made no sense, but nevertheless. Uh, keep those fuck you Dr. Cosby's coming because... Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. Uh, anyway, so final subject of the week, Jason. WWE has a bad history of really doing this passive-aggressive bullshit anytime any other company is trying to do anything of note anywhere, i.e. they are notorious for counter-programming, you know, and, you know, Crockett was trying to get a pay-per-view up. WWE would say like, oh, well, if you carry that event, we're, we're not going to give you WrestleMania or we're going to put our own event up opposite it or blah, 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 blah. And they've done that ever since. That's always been part of their modus operandi as much as they claim to not care about trying to hurt the competition or whatever. So they were at it again because this past week uh, they got bumped. I, I believe it's because of a sports ball event, correct? Where they could not air on Fox. So they were on FS1 mm-hmm. uh, for SmackDown. So they decided because they were going to be on cable at the same time uh, or right at the, the end of where um, AEW Rampage would normally be going up on TNT. They decided to basically extend their show a half hour. So it would run two and a half hours. And then that last half hour that would be butting up against the first half hour of Rampage, make it completely commercial free and then put like their biggest stars on it to try to fuck with AEW's uh, numbers. They lost and they are looking pretty fucking embarrassed as a result of it. Now, to be clear, if we're counting total viewers of SmackDown versus total viewers of Rampage, then WWE, I think, had a slight edge because for one smackdown started at like eight o'clock and rampage didn't start till 10 so that's on a friday night so that's one but they only went direct head-to-head AEW on tnt and wwe on fs1 for a half hour for that half hour wwe commercial free did a a match between becky lynch and sasha banks and then did a contract signing between roman reigns and brock lesnar they took every bit of ammunition they had in their shotgun and they fired it in that last 30 minutes. They lost in viewership and in the 18 to 49 demo to CM Punk against Matt Seidel. And, and then what real, and then six minutes of commercials on the AEW side. And then the Brock Lesnar, um, Roman Reigns segment had even viewership with Ruby Soho versus the bunny over at AEW. Yeah, that's a bad look for WWE. And um, they've already announced that the next time they're supposed to be doing the same thing where they're doing the two and a half hour block on FS1, they've already said they're not going to do the half hour SmackDown. It's going to be uh, talking smack afterwards. That So they're already retreating from the fight that they instigated. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is nothing against Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks or Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar. Like as bad as the WWE TV product is, those have been four of their best performers ever since like over different time periods for reigns ever since he came back for lynch ever since um they put her in the initial feud with rousey that then got delayed because of nia jacks but um it was before the survivor series that year and then uh and you know like and and lesnar's been a draw his entire his entire career and sasha banks has always been one of their most solid hands when they've actually given her something interesting to do so it's nothing against the four of them 
But CM Punk is a bigger draw than WWE ever wants to give him credit for. And Matt Seidel is not. And yet yeah. CM Punk against Rand, and this is not against Matt Seidel, he's a really talented guy, but CM Punk against random person on AEW roster outdrew Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks without any real difficulty. And then the big thing was it was a draw between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar against six minutes of commercials and Ruby Soho versus the bunny. It's not a good look for WWE, no matter how you try to slice it. Yeah. The, well, I think really what it speaks to is the power of the AEW brand. I mean, yes, CM Punk is absolutely, uh, you know, their, their tippity top, you know, crown jewel, uh, no, no, uh, you know, I'm not trying to not 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 Saudi blood jewel. money, not not Saudi blood money, folks. But he really is there. You know, I mean, they're ace up their sleeve. But I really think it speaks highly that you could have put on. I, I'm I believe this. I think they could have put on any any match, anybody. And the fact of the matter is, AEW is more exciting. Is is just more entertaining, more watchable, uh, a more fluid experience than anything WWE puts on. So all they would really have to do is open the fucking show and go, hey, we're here, it's going to be fun, and it's either going to match the numbers or beat the numbers of WWE. But what's really historic about this is, and you were right, overall, if you just take the overall fucking audience, yes, WWE still wins, but it's all over the place. It's but like from, by you know, about a cradle to grave. by about like a thousand people. It's by like a couple thousand tops. Like it's yeah. razor thin, it, even it, it under was that about, circumstance. It was Right. And, but the thing is that as far as when AEW came on, they started, you know, combating, they started winning and certainly in the demographic that they're aiming for, you know? Uh, and so at any rate, I thought it was, it's interesting because it's, it's proof positive that the, the wrestling fan out there chooses, chooses to spend their time watching AEW and not WWE if there's a choice. And that has not happened where, so, where there's been another company having another program on against WWE's top shows, their, their, their A number one shows, which is Raw and SmackDown. There's been no company that has beat them in viewership since 1998 going head-to-head during the Monday Night Wars. So the thing is that this is very fucking interesting because... You know, the numbers aren't lying. So this is not, you know, little NXT. This is not the the little brand that could, that was a fantastic brand. It just couldn't get the job done. Well, now it's proof positive that neither can the can the A-team, neither can SmackDown. And Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard and Laurinaitis and all of them can just sit down and lick their wounds and find out what they would like to do next because AEW is putting on a better product and for the first time ever, you had the numbers to show it. What I do think is funny in a side note is, and I do like Sasha Banks very much, by the way, so this is not pissing all over her, but Sasha Banks, when she found out this was going to happen, that she was going to be on... Yeah. Smackdown, you know, at the same time, CM Punk does, she kind of did a little tongue in cheek, you know, uh, dig it at, at CM Punk and AEW said it's clobbering time, on Twitter. you know, on Twitter. And I thought it was, you know, because that's really that CM Punk's thing where he, he quotes the thing right before he runs off to the ring. It's clobbering time. It kind of like saying, you know, 
you going to lose this this ratings battle or this viewership battle and then of course they didn't um this they the AEW won the 30 minute little 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 standoff and CM Punk of course was part of that so he re- he responded with it certainly was or something of this <laughs> yeah. nature so i mean it's just kind of a little bit of tip for tat but uh yeah i i don't if think you shoot at the king question. you best not miss <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I just think that it's kind of interesting to the fact of that, you know, what we've been saying for months, if not a year uh, going forward is that AEW is just producing a stellar fucking product that just with the the addition of the the new wrestlers that they had come over, the new signings that they had, uh, it's absolutely watchable. It's absolutely entertaining. Now's the time to watch it. And apparently all the other uh, wrestling fans out there are thinking the same thing, too. So, I, I, you know. Batman help you, Vince, because this is this is proof positive that uh, there has been a change in in who the top dog is when you're going face to face. But that's worrisome too, be- from a WWE standpoint, just because, like, again, Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks are great. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar are great. Like those four are extremely entertaining and are doing incredibly great work with one another, and that still wasn't enough to get it done nope which just goes Mm -mm. to show the apathy that exists throughout the rest of their programming which again has nothing really for the most part to do with the talent that they have but how that talent is utilized and that's how it's been for fucking years on end so there you go but you know it's it's really interesting that you know in a way they they didn't come out and say this but they punished and demonized triple h for all the things that he should have been demonized for they never did when you said they he just could they i'm talking about pritchard and mcmahon probably laurinitis probably uh done but definitely pritchard and mcmahon basically saying that you know showing that Triple H could not get the job done with NXT to go head-to-head against AEW. So he was removed from that post, and they completely changed it into this unicorn puke NXT 2.0 thing that they've made. But now Vince's flagship, one of his flagships, that his shadow has been cast all over this fucking product. Believe me, he is the first and final of everything that you see and everything that's done on that show, even to this day, it couldn't get the job done either. So there you go. I think it's uh, poetic justice. And also, that, uh, what's happening and I here. will say also, like there is a case to be made about the fact that SmackDown was not on Fox. They're with their normal network. So they're on FS1. So of course their numbers would be lower than what they otherwise would have been. But again, WWE decided to pick this fight by going the extra half hour to run up against mm-hmm. Rampage for one. So that was on them. And then also FS1 has still done big numbers when there's been reason for them to do big numbers. If they've got a big event on, people find it. And um, yeah. so I, I don't buy that as as an excuse as to why they underperformed so badly in uh, the fight that they initiated. And that's our, uh, that's our, our show, Jason. Any final thoughts? Yeah, just thank you guys for all the feedback that you've given us, uh, particularly over the last week. We were just inundated. Well, actually, the last two weeks, to tell you the truth. It kind of started with the Bill Maher uh, commentary monologue uh, essay thing, and then people sent things about Jon Stewart, and then it just 
boy, it just took off like a shot. Everybody has contacted us and sent us a bunch of stuff. And there's some stuff we haven't even got to, but thank you very, very much. We appreciate this so very much. Even when you don't agree with us, even when you got varying differing viewpoints, we love it. We love it. We love it. So please keep contacting us, give us material. Let us know what you're thinking about. Cause this is why we are here. We're here to get through this, um, shitty experience called life together together and help each other through this fucker so thank you very much and and like i always tell you guys if you like what we do and many of you keep tuning in don't know why but you do thank you so much you know i always i say all the time is telegram telephone and tell a motherfucking friend we are here we are here to stay we are one day closer to dead we appreciate you and uh yeah we'll be back again and again and again and my partner is the vanilla godzilla jason bailey and my partner over there is the great David Beaudry. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today. So we will be back, I hope, next week. <laughs>